All right. Well, every year from June, about June to November, uh, hurricanes can be a real problem for people who live on the East Coast and in the Gulf States area. These massive storms, they pound coastal communities with high winds, heavy rains, tornadoes. I didn't know about that until I lived in Florida, that yes, in fact, there's tons of tornadoes that come with hurricanes. But then there's also something called a storm surge, which in bigger hurricanes can be as high as 25 feet. The, 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 the water level can go up 25 feet and just clear out homes that are, that are in its way. Uh, so these, these storms are capable of immense damage. So when a hurricane is predicted to make landfall, most people do not see this as a good thing. This is not good news coming through on the TV when they're saying, hey, there's a hurricane coming, a big one. To prepare for these storms, people rush supermarkets and buy all kinds of supplies. They go down to the hardware store and buy um, two, uh, uh, plywood to be able to board up their windows to prevent wind and water damage. It's really inconvenient. Many, many people spend their time packing their bags to get out of town as soon as possible. But as most people are preparing to leave these scenarios where, where the hurricane is going to come and, and, and bring so much damage, and preparing to leave town and, and they're fearing the worst, there's a small group of people who are preparing for these storms by waxing their surfboards. For most of the year, waves on the eastern seaboard are dismally small. Um, and, and so during the hurricane season, experienced surfers get the chance to catch some of the best waves of their life. As bad as hurricanes are, there are some people who look forward to hurricane season because they know that something good can be found in it. When bad things happen to us, it's easy to question, I thought God was good. If God is so good, how could he allow these terrible things to take place? How could he allow war to happen? How could he allow abuse to happen, suffering, injustice? If God is so good, wouldn't he stop all these things and prevent it from happening? Even though God allows evil to play out on this earth, and I'm not here to say I've got good answers to, as to why, but even though he allows it to play out on this earth, the presence of evil on this earth does not disprove the goodness of God. Let me say that again. The presence of evil does not disprove the goodness of God. Of God. Rather, I would argue that it gives opportunity for God's goodness to be more fully revealed. I mean, when everything's good in a person's life, great health, they're financially stable, they're just having a good day, and they go about doing good, maybe they're kind or generous to other people, that's nice and that's great. But we might look at that and say, well, maybe they're doing good because their life is so good. But when someone is going through a really difficult time, when their health is not good, when relationships in their life are in distress, and they're going through, and they're having a bad day, and even with all of these bad things happening, they are still kind, still generous, still good to others, that is evidence of some genuine goodness. Wouldn't you agree? This morning, I would like to take a look at a story in the Old Testament that demonstrates God's ability 
to work for our good, even when things are not good, when things are really bad, how he is able to work for our good. And as we look at this story, I'm really encouraged by it because it shows us that no matter what our circumstances, no matter how bad things get in our life, it is possible for us to find God's goodness in every circumstance. The title of the message this morning is At Work for Our Good, and I'd like to just invite you to pause with me for prayer before we open the Bible and listen to words of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and before we open this book, we ask that you would give us a heart to receive the truth that you want for us to receive, the truth that gives freedom, the truth that gives life to us. Thank you so much, God, that you are at work right now. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 50. We're going to be especially looking at verses 20 and 21. It's page 55 in your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along with that. Um, And while you're going there, I'd just like to make an observation. Perhaps you've noticed that people act differently when authority figures are around. When the teacher is in the room, chances are students will cheat less. Right? When the principal is around, chances are bullying will not happen. When the police car is driving behind you while you're driving down the road, chances are you're not going to go over the speed limit. You're not going to run stop signs. <laughs> you know, we, we, we drive differently when, when authorities are around. But when the authority figures are not around, then we tend to just do what we want. That's what's happening, or at least that's the concern of what's happening in Genesis chapter 50. Jacob, the patriarch, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, has just died. And with his restraining influence gone, his children, the children of Jacob, have some real concerns about their brother Joseph. You see, when Joseph was a teenager, these brothers were not good to him. They treated him really bad. And that wouldn't be that big of a deal, except now Joseph is really powerful. Joseph is now the second most powerful ruler in the most powerful nation around. He's got power over his brothers. He's got power over everyone, really. When Joseph gave orders, people would obey. And so all Joseph had to do was give the word, and soldiers would appear to bring some punishment upon his brothers. And make them really pay dearly for hurting him. And had he done that, there would be no one around to stop it. No one around to to even come after Joseph if he were to do something like that. But now that Joseph is free to do what he wants, now the, the authority of his father is no longer around, he's free to do what he wants, Genesis chapter 50 verses 20 and 21 tells us what he decides to do to his brothers. It's really amazing. Verse 20 He's speaking to his brothers here. You intended to harm me. That's not sounding good right now. But God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Verse 21, so then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. I imagine that Joseph's brothers were not expecting this response from Joseph. I mean, this is almost too good to be true. Not only is he not upset, but he is being kind to them. 
I'm sure they were really happy to hear this because in verse 20, when Joseph says that you intended to harm me, he's really putting it nicely. About 22 years before he spoke these words, when Joseph and their, his brothers, when their father was not around, when Jacob was not around, Joseph's brothers tore off the special coat that Jacob made for Joseph. This special coat that indicated that Joseph was the favored son. They tore it off. They threw him into an empty cistern. And then they sold him to human traffickers. After these men purchased Joseph, these, these, tra- these tradesmen, these, these traders, after they purchased Joseph, any number of terrible things could have happened to Joseph. I mean, being sold into slavery could have been far worse than being put to death. Anything could have happened to him. And they didn't care. But even though there was nothing good in what these men did by selling their brother into slavery, notice what Joseph wants to do to them. Verse 21 says, I will provide for you and your children. You sold me into slavery. You sold me to human traffickers. You had no idea what they would do to me, whether they would torture me, whatever they would do. You had no idea. You didn't care. And so my response is, I will provide for you. And I will provide for your children. What? What is that? After they were so horrible to him, this is his response. He wants to use his power to not only care for his brothers, but also to care for their descendants, their children. I mean, this is a generous act, even if his brothers had been kind to him in the past. Because keep in mind that this is not a time of abundance in Egypt. So far, they've had two years of famine, and Joseph knew that there would be five more years of famine. But he's not concerned about himself. He's not concerned about having enough for himself and enough for those who have been kind to him. There's still five more years of famine left, yet Joseph wants to be generous to these men who have treated him so badly. And not only is he concerned about their survival, I mean, this isn't just some obligation where he's like, well, we're flesh and blood, I feel kind of bad, I'll provide for you and your children. It's not that. He's not just concerned about their survival. He's concerned about how they feel. Notice what he says here. Verse uh, 21, he says, do not be afraid. He cares about their feelings. And then at the end of the verse, it says, he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Instead of letting his brothers squirm with, under the possibility that he was going to get revenge, he had the power to do it. And instead of just keeping silent and seeing how they deal with that, he tells them, don't be afraid. Despite the trauma that he's experienced, somehow, somehow, Joseph has found so much good in his experience that he wants to care for the very people who intended to harm him. I think that's amazing. Somehow he found so much good, he wants to care for these men. Verse 20 tells us how this is possible. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Joseph's life demonstrates that no experience, no matter how evil it might be, can keep God from working for our good. God is going to find a way. Like, kind of like a chess master. The devil strategizes 
to ruin our lives in every way possible. Every move that he makes is geared towards your destruction, towards my destruction. He's at work, and he's, he's a master at it. He's intending to harm us all the time. But even though he is brilliant at doing evil, Satan cannot outmaneuver God. I love that. He can't do it. He can't prevent God. Even though he's, he's allowed some room to do some evil, he cannot prevent God from working for our good. Before Joseph was sold into slavery, God did something really amazing. God gave Joseph two dreams that prepared Joseph for the future. It prepared Joseph to be strong. He knew the ordeal that he was going to have to go through, so God gives him two specific dreams that reveal the future to Joseph and showed Joseph that one day he was going to be in authority over his family. He was going to be exalted. It was going to be a good thing. There was going to be a good ending there. So by the time Joseph was 17 years old, he knew his future. And as he faced these difficulties of being sold into slavery and all that that transpired in his life that was so difficult, he did it with the backdrop knowing that his future was secure. And this gave him hope for the future. I mean, to have hope for the future is a wonderful thing, but it also did something else. He didn't just have hope for the future. These dreams allowed Joseph and, and inspired Joseph to look in the present for God's work, for his good. Now, of course, it would be nice if God gave us dreams like that, right? Like if God were to give you a dream and say, this is your future. This is what's going to happen next year. That'd be a wonderful thing. Shows the future. But the truth is, is we have something even better than what Joseph had. We have the Bible. (laughs) And it tells us our future, really specifically. We sang about it a moment ago. We have this hope, hope in the coming of the Lord. We have this hope that we can turn to God right now and call him our father. He he is our father, and so he looks upon us as his children. He's a good father. He provides for his kids. He's concerned about what happens in our life. We have this specifically spelled out to us. God is not only, he not only has good plans for our future, but he has plans to do good in our life right now. He is our father. Well, after Joseph was sold to a man named Potiphar in Egypt, God went to work for his good, and he did it in a really unique way. God went to work for Joseph's good by working in Joseph's heart. Instead of becoming defiant towards God, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? I can't stand it. If you didn't allow this to happen to me, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Instead of becoming defiant, God worked in Joseph's heart. And he decided to go, Joseph decided to go to work for the good of those around him. He was diligent as a slave. He did his work well. He was a trustworthy person. And this stood out so much that Potiphar, his master, looked at Joseph, saw what a good worker he was, how talented he was, how, how, a man, how much of a man of integrity he was, that he said, you know, my household would be better off if I was not in charge of it and Joseph was. He puts Joseph in charge of his whole household. And God blesses Joseph's work in charge of the whole household there. And in this position of being in charge of Potiphar's household, it's really significant that Joseph was able to gain experience, vital experience that he needed that would serve him in the future. You know how the story ends. You know what I'm talking about. He was gaining vital experience for the future, his future work. 
Well, just as things were improving for Joseph, overseeing the household of Potiphar, he was falsely accused of wrong, and he was thrown in jail. He was innocent, a man of integrity, but he was accused of doing wrong. And I'm sure at this moment, resentment was a very real temptation for Joseph. I mean, he was doing good. He had done nothing wrong. As a slave, he was serving to the best of his ability. He was trying to do good to those people who weren't even paying him. And yet, all this bad stuff happens. He gets thrown into jail. He's unfairly treated. But these circumstances could not prevent God from being at work for Joseph's good. Just like it was in Potiphar's house. When Joseph was in prison, he continued to do good, look to do good work for other people around him. He's working for their good, and soon the head jailer sees his ability. He sees that Joseph is a man of integrity, that Joseph is talented, that Joseph is an administrator, that Joseph gets along with other people, and he's a leader. And so he places all of the prisoners under Joseph's care. See this pattern in Joseph's life. He's constantly being exalted because God is at work in his heart. He's allowing God to work, and in so doing, he looks to do good for those around him. One of the prisoners there in the jail was Pharaoh's former cupbearer. This is a high official in Pharaoh's court. And when this cupbearer had a dream that he couldn't interpret, Joseph told him the meaning of the dream. He said, in three days, you will be restored to your former position in Pharaoh's court. And sure enough, it happened just as Joseph had told him. The man was restored as the cupbearer. He was freed from prison, restored to his position in Pharaoh's court. But instead of putting in a good word for Joseph and saying, man, I've got this friend. Amazing. He interpreted this dream. This cupbearer forgets about Joseph. And he forgets about him for two years. During this time, by, judging by all appearances, it seemed as if Joseph would spend the rest of his life in prison. All the good that he'd done, all the, he'd been so faithful, and yet this is how it was going to work out. It seemed that, that was gonna, that's what was going to take place. But God was at work for Joseph's good, and he gave Pharaoh a dream that no one could interpret. This event jogged the memory of the forgetful cupbearer, and so he says, you know what? There's a guy that can interpret this dream. Joseph was summoned, and he gives the meaning of the dream to Pharaoh. Seven years of plenty are ahead of you, but make sure you take advantage of those seven years of plenty because seven years of no harvest are going to come after that. And if you don't plan ahead, many people will starve to death. I suggest a plan. A fifth of the harvest every year be saved. And Pharaoh said, well, that sounds like a great plan. You're the man for the job. And in a moment, Joseph's life is completely changed. He goes from being a prisoner, probably going to die in a dungeon somewhere, to being second in command in Egypt. God at work for his good. For 13 years, Joseph faced horrible circumstances as a slave and as a prisoner. But because God was at work for his good, Joseph, I love this, Joseph was perfectly prepared to be the administrator that he was called to be. Perfectly prepared to save the people of Egypt from starvation and to save his own family from starvation. God was preparing him that whole time. Who would have known? Joseph saw God was at work for his good. He saw that, but the reality is when we are facing bad situations, we don't always see 
God working for our good. I mean, at times it, it, may, it may seem to us that this circumstance is impossible for any good to come out of it. Maybe we can see it in mild circumstances, but when circumstances are really bad, how in the world could anything good come out of it? But just because we aren't able to see God at work for our good doesn't mean that he's not at work for our good under the surface. A plot of ground can appear to be dead and lifeless if all it is is dirt. You can just see black dirt, right? And it might appear to be dead and lifeless, but that doesn't mean that it is. Underneath that ground, under the surface, there can be seeds germinating, bulbs, these beautiful tulips that we see all, you know, these beautiful flowers can be swelling and starting to send down roots and to send up shoots. All kinds of life can be taking place under the surface, but from our perspective above ground, looking at it, it can seem as if that there is no life there in the ground if all it is is black dirt. But one day, with all this life happening underneath the surface, one day, the ground, this ground that once seemed to be completely dead with nothing growing in it, one day that ground can be transformed. Shoots coming up, and it, be, it can become an amazing garden full of goodness instantly. In this life, bad things can happen. There's abuse, right? Some of you experience that. Trauma, addiction, divorce. Bad stuff happens in this life, and these things are not good. Let me just say that right up front. I'm here to argue that these are not the will of God. It's not the will of God that marriages break up. It's not the will of God that people suffer. This is the result of evil. This is what sin does. But God is not prevented in these circumstances from working for our good. Whether we see good or not, whether, whether we can see it above the surface, the truth is, is that God is at work, whether we see it or not. Let me put it up there. Romans 8.28, perhaps those of you who, who, who know this verse have been thinking about it. Look at what it says, in how many things? All. That means the bad too, as well as the good. In all things, God works. There is no circumstance that God is not prevented in working for our good to those who love him, it says. In other words, there is never a time in our life as we look to Jesus, as we desire to follow him, as we desire, in, desire for him to, to change our characters and to make our characters like him. That's those who love God, those who want to follow him, those who see his love and want to receive that and want to reflect that to other people. That in all circumstances, there's never a situation when God cannot work for our good. Now, I realize this is a bold claim. Come on, Pastor Brian. Every circumstance, really, there's some really bad circumstances. How could God work for our good in all things? Well, to answer that question, I'd like for you to just consider for a moment the worst thing that has ever happened on this planet. The worst thing. And you might think, oh, wait, Eve, when she ate the fruit, that's not so bad, right? But this Every, every bad thing that has ever happened on this planet, every, every instance of suffering, every instance of death, every instance of abuse, every instance of trauma, every instance of, of sickness and, and horrible things, right? War. It all traces back to this one decision when Adam and Eve chose to sin. 
And from this one decision, evil has entered this world. Death, sin, suffering, pain, all the evil can be traced back to this one decision. Now, as I think about that, if I, could, if I had the power to rewrite history, I would go back and say, she told Satan to take a hike. I would have said something like that, right? Like, I wish that this would not have ever happened. But because this did happen, God has opportunity to demonstrate He has opportunity to demonstrate a goodness that we could otherwise never know. Like the love of God shines even brighter because of this sinful world. Sin entering this world gives God opportunity to step in and demonstrate really how much he loves us. On a really bad day, what does God look like? He looks like that. He gives his life for the people that he created, undeserving people, people that he knew would never accept him. He spills his blood for everyone. This is how good God is. On the cross, God worked in the worst of circumstances to do the greatest good for humanity. Yeah. I don't know what all you've been through, I don't know how you might have suffered in your life. I don't know what, you're, what all you're currently going through in your life, the difficult circumstances that you might be facing in your life. I'm, I'm not aware of those things, but I do know this. I do know that in every circumstance, even the worst, God is at work for your good. People who garden, they know the importance of compost, Anybody garden out there? You know the importance of compost? Yeah, and I don't know what it is about, about compost, but it seems that the best compost comes from the worst-smelling material. Like, what is it about? Rotting fruit. Oh, that's going to be good compost. Let's put the Manure. I'm going to put it nicely. Manure. Right? Oh, that's going to be great for the garden, right? Like, things that smell really, really bad make good compost. But the gardener takes these horrible smelling things, right? They they take these horrible smelling things and they work with them. They turn them in their composter or whatever it is that they do. They make make these really rich mixes of compost and they take that compost and they put it in the garden. And this, these things that were horrible to smell, horrible to be around, I mean, it just turns your stomach, you just don't want to be around. All of a sudden, that gets transformed into the material that grows the most healthy, wonderful, vibrant, productive gardens. Do you, do you see the point of that? Let, let, me, let me make that plain. In our world, we can expect bad things to happen. That person that doesn't treat you right, that child who is not behaving the way you would like that child to behave. Financial troubles. Marriage troubles. I mean, this stuff stinks, right? Um, Health issues that plague your life. Trauma, abuse, neglect that you may have experienced. When bad things happen, you can know that during those bad things, God is at work for your good. And he is turning these stinky, smelly things into spiritual compost. Spiritual compost, yeah. It could be that the bad experiences that you've been through and the bad experiences that you may be going through right now are the very medium, the very 
situation, the very circumstances, the very way in which God is going to bring about the greatest good in your life and for those that you love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you don't get tired. Thank you that you're at work every moment. No matter what's going on, evil does not prevent you. And I pray, God, that this would change the way I think about bad things happening in my life and the way it would change the way each of my friends, my church family here, the way we think about bad things happening. God, may we look for your work, and when we don't see it, maybe we trust that you are at work for our good and that you're going to turn it and you're going to work it until you produce your good work in us. We thank you for that hope and promise. In Jesus' name, amen.